sind ja beide so voll entspannt. Also ich bin entspannt, du bist entspannt. Und, ja. Was? Was? Was ist da? Also, wo, wo guckst du gerade hin? Was meinst du? Ich, ich guck dich an. Hello and welcome back to In Her Lens, In Conversation, Hondefreund. I'm Nadine and this is part two of my interview with Silas Naidu and Lamin Leroy Jibba. In this special, I'm chatting with the team behind Hondefreund. It's a German short film that premiered at the BFI Flair Film Festival in London and this past week screened at Tribeca Film Festival in New York. Silas is the creator and producer of the short and Lamin is the screenwriter and lead actor. We're hopping straight in in a second, so if you haven't listened to part one, go and do that and then come back. You don't want to miss it. In part two of the conversation, Silish and Lamin talk about the casting process for the film, and Lamin shares about the special process that he went through, both writing a character and performing them. He talks about how he navigated screenwriter, actor, and producer, both on and off set, and how he began to understand and find the character of Malik in rehearsal. Silish opens up about the producer role when you get to shooting, and they both emphasize the importance of opening up and asking your network for resources. We talk about intimacy coordination, set design, and we really take some time to break down how Hundefreund is pursuing the festival circuit, lifting the veil about how to make the system work for you when you can. This is a really profound episode. I hope that you enjoy it. Part two with Silas Naidu and Lamin Leroy Jibba of Hundefreund. Um, Lami, now do you want to talk about releasing the rider hat and then yeah. moving Malik into your body? Like going from the head to the heart and mm-hmm. kind of let's talk about the casting process <laughs> and finding the person who's going to play across from you. Uh, what was yeah. that like? Yeah, I was just thinking because the two things are actually connected because yeah, we the first time I did like play it in a way with like, I mean, we actually did, we, we did have a, an actor who was there, um, who, who, you know, um, who went through us through the process of reading it when we had these bi-weekly meetings, uh, which was like a friend of ours. And um, so I did actually act it out many times. So I actually had a lot of time to prepare for this role, actually, mm-hmm. the longest ever before. Um, but uh, yeah, the auditioning process, we did auditions really early, I think. We started in December of 2020, over Zoom because of the pandemic. We got the funding. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 We were doing because yeah. we had to put actors down mm. for the funding. So we were like, fuck it. Why don't we just audition right. now? And we started, we did auditions over Zoom during the lockdown. We put a casting call out through our social media networks and we got some people. Mm-hmm. And what was that process like? Yeah through zoom but also then putting words in other people's mouths yeah Lamin, you go i feel like you were more in this process than i was <laughs> yeah no it was really um it was really cool so many different phillips and i really um 
loved so many of them. I really thought so many of them were would have been so nice to, you know, play with them. And afterwards, we of course we had like conversations, and it was really much always always about like what does this what does this energy of this actor do to the entirety of the film because it's just two people and um yeah and there were different opinions you know i think Maisa Silish and i we sometimes had different opinions but uh in the end when we met yeah we we met with till over zoom and then yeah we had a, a second meeting with till and yeah it was pretty clear right away right i don't know it was felt really um organic until yeah. killed it like absolutely killed it we were like this is the filler we saw so many different versions of Philip and throughout the editions, but we realized this is the one we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And what is it? What what are you are you listening to yourself? Are you do you have preconceived notions when you're going into auditions? What is the process like being on the other side of the table? I mean, you have experience being an actor and going into just an audition. Um, what what is that yeah. like being on that side of the table? It's so interesting to be on that side of the table. It's been like I've been on that side of just a few times and every time I it's so useful as an actor to be on that side sometimes because you realize oh like every actor brings such a different yeah really brings themselves and sometimes like it's it's not like I never thought about like oh like they don't have the lines perfect or like something like one second doesn't work or something it was always like oh how does this work into the in in the film and I thought everyone really I think everyone we saw really brought something very special and yeah and I think also because the text has a certain like sparseness to to it like there was you know it does have a specificity to it but like everyone really interpreted in a very different way and that was really kind of exciting to see kind of how how flexible it was but in the end I think it was I think in the end it was really what works best for the film and what is kind of the most interesting contrast to um to what I was doing, but I was also changing based on whoever came into the room. Um, Malik changed, you know. Silas, I do want to talk about the space of a producer when you're getting closer to set, right? Uh, it's the time you have left, the space, the people, everything counts, everything. It becomes a little bit of a pressure cooker. How did you navigate this closer and closer to shooting day one? Okay, so I went on YouTube and I put in how do you produce a movie with step one of this process because I had never I had never produced a film before um I have two short two poetry films that I made before this but these were one day shoots and um like very minimal productions you know uh but that's sort of what led me into this idea of going more into filmmaking um and but to me it was more about thinking about it from a project management perspective and uh and also trusting your team and realizing we had such a strong and powerful team of people who were experts in what they were doing. Um, so all I had to do was make sure things showed up on time and um, we had the things that we needed uh, to have. And uh, I, I have, I'm not good a lot in my life, but one thing that I'm really good at is getting people to do things for me. Um, and, you know, we are like, I don't know, three and a half weeks away from shoot and we still haven't secured any of our camera equipment. And 
we're looking at our budget and we want about 36,000, 35,000, you know, euros worth of camera equipment. And that's our entire budget, you know, and now I have to figure out how to get people to give us massive discounts. And it was really just picking up the phone and being like, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what the project's about. Are you on board to helping us out? And you would be surprised how many people would said yes uh, from vendors who gave us camera equipment, from people who gave, gave us discounts on sound mixing studios to people who uh, uh, helped us secure like catering, you know, like it was really pulling in a network and community of people uh, who wanted to support the project and especially a short film like this, uh, pulling into them into the power of the idea. Uh, and they were very on board once they realized, hey, this is the project that we they, they wanted to be a part of because even they realized being vendors in Germany, working in filmmaking, that this was something particularly unique that was happening that doesn't get funded often. Um, and it's a story that's worth being told. That also helped sort of the passion and the chaos moving into, in, into the actual shoot. I feel like the role of the producer is like, I just have to get the ship out of the shipyard, you know? And then once the shoot happens, I felt completely useless. You know, like, like the machine was running and I was just solving problems as they came up. And then um, I was watching it, like things through the monitor, uh, but for me, the moment became real, the, the moment when we were shooting the first scene and the first scene was focused on Malik because uh, I think it was like the first scene in the story, in, in the script as well. And um, it was the first time after we had been working on this character for over a year that I saw Malik finally come to life and I teared up. It, because all of a sudden, all this work we were doing and this character we had been agonizing over for such a long time finally came came to life, and it was such a beautiful thing to see. Lamine, you're part. Of, you're writing the script. You're in the creative team. You guys are talking about it. You're involved in it. The three of you are consistently part of creating this from idea to being on set to funding to being an actor with a camera in your face. How do you navigate holding many hats, right? You have Malik on paper and then you have to allow Malik in. What was it like on set then holding these multiple hats? And when do you let something go and when do you allow something else in? Yeah, I think to me, the first time in which I really felt this um, writer to actor moment was in the rehearsals because we had three rehearsals with Misa and um until and um yeah and we really tried out a lot of things we had three full days and um we tried out the scenes and we really went through them beat beat by beat and i really you know thought i knew the character and i had you know developed so much but you know really doing it with another actor really changes um certain things i really had thought about like how does this character even move or speak Oh, what is his relationship to Till? Because one thing that was really important to me was the initial idea was a hook, kind of. Like, it was kind of a little bit more casual. That's why I also said, like, with the logline, I don't really see it that, that casual, at least not for Malik. 
because to me it was really important that Malik actually is in love with Philip. To me, otherwise the film is um, cannot go as deep. Mm-hmm. Philip and Malik really needs to have deep emotions for that other person who he's realizing isn't seeing him. And that to me was really important. So like finding that in rehearsal and with another person was, yeah, really exciting. And it was one, one moment in the, um, in the rehearsal, which like completely like blew my mind and it kind of like changed the way that I even played it. Um, and I think that also like says so much about like relationships between actor and director kind of because the director ideally really sees you and sees the character and really pushes you and invites you to go into go further than you might you might do. So there's this one moment right in which Philip says something that really rubs Malik the wrong way and Malik confronts him and Philip reacts in a way that makes Malik be like, okay, never mind, never mind what I just said and wants to continue. And I just said like never mind. Um and then, but I stayed where I was. And then Misa was like, no, like you say never mind, and then you kiss him. And I was like, oh, okay, right. Because that's what Malik would do. But that was like so, like it it changed the it was really painful that moment to actually play that out and to actually do it in a vulnerable way. And, um, but you were, but I don't know, that, that kind of moment just, Misa t- told me something about the character that I had written, but mm. um, yeah, she saw it from the outside and that was really um, a really cool moment. And then overall, we tried out so many, um, yeah, different things, different ways, obviously of, you know, going through the scene, um, beats of the scene that are in different places and then also sometimes things um happened spontaneously um that were improvised um and then yeah we tried to you know lock it into the script where it worked but overall we really um yeah worked on the script worked through the script really like a play and um so we really knew what was going we, we knew that when we were shooting there was very little room for that much exploration because we, we didn't have that much time. So we really had to know our lines. We really need to know how know our beats and kind of what our tactics are for each moment. Because the film is all about, you know, a different tactic, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, that we use to, you know, get what we want or be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had an intimacy direct uh, coordinator and director on set. Um Tell me a bit about having uh, about this choice and what it gave this film and what you think it will give. Let's advocate for it, it being on every set. Uh, it yeah. gives film and creative projects like this in general. The sexual aspects of the film really it was something, again, I'm just a little connected to the question before, but it was like, okay, this is, I'm writing this, like a new, like, Silas came to me with the idea that I would play it, but I was really writing it. I was like disconnected from the idea that I would do that. Mm. And then when it really came to, to, you know, planning the shots, I was like, oh yeah, like I will be doing that. So then we, and like, it was clear from Misa, it was really important to Misa too, to Silas too, that we would have an intimacy coordinator and um, our um, assistant director, uh, Carmen, also was the... um, 
an intimacy coordinator. And it was really cool because we really, during those rehearsals, we worked on that. And it was, yeah, a beautiful way of like for, for Till and I to even like build trust with each other, right? It was just like, literally the beginning was like, was like touching each other. Like it was like the first one like touching each other without even actually like just holding our hands around the shoulders. And then it was about like holding each other's shoulders. Like it started that slowly, but it was a really cool process of kind of talking about what is okay for me and what is not okay. And um, yeah, and then to really stage everything that was sexual, the same way that, you know, everything that, everything that's physical in a way that, you know, might not make another person feel safe, like violence as well, should really be staged. And um, yeah, everything sexual was very choreographed and we knew, you know, when, what body part would wear and it made it really safe to be on set too. But of course, like even, it's still awkward, but um, yeah, it's such an important part of the scene, uh, of the film, you know, this um, sexuality and the intimacy that they have, but also the, you know, awkward moments that happen between you know during it I thought I think it's really important to think about like why we even have the sex scene in the first place but you know it's a I think it's a really important part of the film and um yeah I'm really glad that we had an intimacy coordinator yeah I think every production should have it you know and I think particularly about making a queer movie mm -hmm. um and I think so much about being queer is how our sexuality is oftentimes ex exploited and so having somebody who is on set who can help us as a team navigate that around these ideas of consent, like what are the actors consenting to, but also how do we make our actors feel safe uh, enough to go to a place that would draw out these deeper levels of intimacy that we were trying to, to go for. Mm -hmm. um, and these things that are oftentimes overlooked, like an intimacy coordinator, we are a small budget film, but we still were like, no matter what, we need this on set because we realize it makes the difference in terms of building a team, building a set um, and making a, telling a story where everyone feels safe enough to bring them their full selves. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very important to us from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And apart from intimacy coordination, tell us a little bit else about things that were unique or really adamantly chosen uh, on set. Um, let us have a little bit of a moment to see what it was like to be in this room with 20 people. <laughs> working the wallpaper. The oh wall my God, the wallpaper. Let me tell you, we made this bold decision. We used the director's flat to shoot the film. We... Because which is also really amazing because we had spent the year prior to that writing the script in that apartment. You know, we would meet there every few weeks to talk about this. And then we transformed her bedroom into the set or in pretty much her entire flat into the set. Um, but there's like from a production point, point of view when you're like, okay, I have, you know, trying to sort set material and like, you know, empowering the set designer. One of the early conversations was like, what do we do with the walls? Because the walls aren't working. And okay, do we wallpaper? Do we not wallpaper? Do we wallpaper? Do we not wallpaper? Okay, who are we going to get to do the wallpaper? Oh, and you know, like there's like this entire conversation of like how to actually make this happen. And 
I was from the perspective of, I was not sold on the wallpaper idea in the beginning. I was like, this is a lot of work and this is a lot of money. I don't understand. Like I was being all Papa about it. <laughs> but moment I saw the wallpaper through the screen on the camera, um, I was like, through the monitor, I was like, this was such a brilliant idea. And to sort of give Joan that sort of uh, ownership of the space being like, all right, you said wallpaper, we're gonna make it happen. Even though I don't agree with this idea, let's just run with it. And then seeing how things fully come together um, on that was like, I think a really beautiful example of um, just working together and trusting each other. Joan's set design is incredible. Literally everything in that bedroom is like placed and like selected. And like Joan doesn't even like, um, John doesn't even go like specifically with one idea, but they like go all over like the city and then like things find them and then they just like bring them and like it's so cool. Like, and there's sometimes we're carrying like huge like furniture. They just like brought this huge furniture and then it was like, oh, I just found this on the corner. I was like, this is amazing. And it always like works so perfectly. And but also looking at set design and the way they worked even with the DOP, because when we did our first sketchings of the the set, like the bed was in one position. And then I think two days before we were about to shoot, like we completely changed their positioning of the bed. And we were like, no, wait, the bed needs to be on the other side of the wall. And the DOP said it has to look like this because of all the angles and the shots that we wanted to do. And Joan didn't even complain for a second. She's like, okay, so I'm going to return these items. We're going to get these shells. We're going to do this. And just to have that level of adaptability to, to be like, all right, we're all trying to make the best image possible. Uh, what do we do to make it happen? Um, it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. The final scene, which where this critical item that we needed for the final scene got lost. And all of a sudden the entire crew is tearing up the entire apartment, looking for this one thing that we needed for the final <laughs> scene. And I'm like, there's an extra at base camp. I'm going to run back. And I'm running out of the apartment. And people are screaming my name out the window, being like, we found it. And then I get up there like, no, we didn't find it. And, you know, like these like amazing moments that were just like sheer panic. But at the same time, like we found it. We shot the final scene. And then we had a big dance party, uh, you know. And it was just these things that really, that really bring you together and show you what a special project it was. Um, how many edits did you go through? What was the editing process like? Who was in the room? Was it fun? Was it a lot? What was that process like? Yeah, so we had an amazing editor, Sarnt, who uh, is a friend of mine and they've worked on a few projects that I was aware of. So I knew that what made Sarnt a really good editor is that Sarnt comes in with a point of view on your film. Mm. They watch it and they have a perspective on it themselves. And that makes Sarnt such a powerful person to collaborate with in order to help tell that story because they aren't just cutting and editing and it's not machine work to them. They really are bringing, they see it as a craft and they have their own artistic lens on it. And it's so important to have those conversations because there's so many things that we don't know or we're fossilized in, in terms of the story that we want to tell, that it's really helpful to have an editor who has a firm grounding, not only in their craft, but also in the power of storytelling. 
to help you carve that out. And Sharn did such an amazing job with that. And I can't even remember how many rounds of edits we had gone back and forth on, but- um, 11. 11, you remember? <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, Maisa went through the first couple of rounds and they, she would be with Sarn while they were editing. And then I would sort of give feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, but then as we were sort of winding it down, it became a lot more collaborative between me, Maisa, and then finally Laman when we got down to the last few rounds of edits. And I felt like that's also where our strengths came in because Maisa knew the shots that were gonna tell this powerful story. And then I was coming in and being, wait, wait a minute, we're missing this little nuance that's gonna help make the story come together and the essence of this, the essence of it. And then in the final round, Laman was like, in this second, this needs to run one second more for it to like have that punch and, oh wait, what if you use this at this second, just like nudge it a bit this way and realizing the tweaking was so necessary mm -hmm. in order to really capture sort of the power of what we were we were trying to tell. And so even having that perspective was really intense. Mm -hmm. But also Laman, I don't even know what it was like for you because like you wrote the story, you acted at it and now you're sitting part of the editing process. And so I never actually asked you all your perspective on that one. Um, yeah, it was like, I didn't see anything. I also, because you asked earlier about like seeing the first, um, yeah, monitor or something. I didn't watch the monitor at all during the entire shooting. So the first time I saw anything was the eighth cut. So I joined at the eighth cut and yeah, it was incredible to see, yeah, again, Sarn's work. And I think Sarn's an amazing editor and, um, yeah, to really see, yeah, the collaboration between Misa and, and Sarn in that way and, and you, Silas, it was, I don't know, I was, it was very, it's very exciting. And then we also screened it to a couple of friends. I think the eighth cut, we also screened to a couple of friends and they were really excited and also gave us really great feedback. And I think from then on, um, yeah, it was, it was everything that you said, kind of really details and really thinking about like, how, how do we want to tell the stories? What moments do we need? How, like, how is the audience following this? How is the audience tracking? Um, what is happening so not only you know plot wise but also emotionally um but i was a little bit i i, I didn't really like for example like i never asked myself like for a different take of mine right like i never asked it was like oh i don't like this moment or something like do we have another take i was like no like this is the you know this is what they cho chose and i think that's great it was more about like um yeah, exactly. Like maybe a millisecond more there or a millisecond less there. Or we, um, yeah, what if we um, go to that other person earlier or so, things like that. And um, yeah, but I, I, I really, I really thought of like of the whole and even watching it now. Um, I don't know. I feel a little bit of a distance to to it I, because I feel like I've seen it also so many times. So you are having your premiere very, very soon, next week. And then other people are going to see it. People who don't know you personally, um, new people, professionals, uh, people who have nothing to do with film. The festival circuit is integral to these kinds of projects, but it's also like overwhelming. It's expensive. And unfortunately, it is full of rejection. And there are all of these big institutions behind it. What have you learned thus far 
with how Hanfren has been perceived and accepted or rejected. And what would you like to share about that for people who are entering that? So any young filmmakers who are now coming up with their first or second short? Mm. Words of motivation, yeah, yeah. words of warning. The most amazing thing to me was, you know, we already screened at one time for our like friends, family, team members. And that was such a, yeah, it was really beautiful to see everyone there and the way that they engaged with the film. Um, and, you know, it was very loud screening. People were like talking and like laughing. And I don't know, I really loved it. And like talking to people afterwards and people to really, um, yeah, see themselves in it, even though, you know, it was people that had like different identities and were different people, but like there were certain things that were like, oh, I could completely connect to this moment. And I feel like I've never seen it. I mean, I know that feeling when the other people's work and it's so rare, but when it happens, it's really powerful. And so to me, that was like, I was like, everything that happened after this is like really, yeah, exciting. And I can't wait for more and more people to see it. But to me, it was like, okay, this is, this is why like, I wanted to make it too. And for the entire team to be proud of it and to be there, to have like everyone to be there and to be like, oh, I'm really excited to be part of, you know, creating this. The way we approach festivals uh, really came down to sort of the ethos. I believe the three of us brought to the entire process, which was, and I think it's why we are where we are right now is we, we didn't hold back like in terms of our creativity, in terms of our vision, in terms of what we wanted this to be, because so much of what the initial vision was is capturing this moment that is happening in Germany in terms of BIPOC creatives and highlighting the amazing talent that is happening here. Uh, and that needs to be showcased. Mm -hmm. And so when the film was over and it was time to apply for Apple, film applications, it was like, all right, yeah, we need to do festival applications and we need to contact every single press outlet that we know. And we need to get articles written about us. And we've had articles written about us in like major publications within Germany, in London. Um, we're premiering at the British Film Institute in, in a week, you know? And we never once were like, told ourselves to play it small. Uh, we wanted to come out swinging because this film is a representation. There's ways that I think people are trying to brand us as a, as a, it's a, it's a dating movie. It's a film about a casual hookup. Um, but for us, it's always been, what do these moments of intimacy tell us about the larger society we're living in? Um, and how does that, and that is something, how, how inescapable is it to be a black and brown body and not have to navigate white supremacy, even in the most intimate spaces. And that is a story that we're, we want to be told. And so even through the festival process, we are keeping that in mind in terms of how we talk about the film, not only to festivals, uh, but to the media as well. And we got into BFI because because you know it's a great film, but this is also is going to give us a platform to speak about the film in different capacities. And so, my advice to filmmakers who are also trying to get their short films out there 
into festivals is don't just rely on the festival market to get your film out there. Believe in your message, like believe in your story and know that that story has a deeper and greater meaning about the world that we live in mm-hmm. and speak about that. Yeah, and I think also specifically with this film, I mean, there's a tendency, right, to find, especially if we talk about huge things as like race and racism and um there's this idea that we have to, you know, um, completely, you know, figure out this everything and kind of like tell it in a way where there's an easy solution in the end. And I think what's really was really important to us was like, who, who do we want to center in this story to kind of go with your subjectivity and really all the things that we feel like are might not have a space in that or we might have not seen before or we feel like we have like our subjectivity has never been centered so it can't really be centered here um yeah to reject all of that and that was something that we you know talked about a lot it was like who is this film for like is this about us you know see trying to like show people like what race, what exactly racism is? Like, no, like this is about one character, Malik, and how he navigates the world with race and racism being part of that world. And and yeah, having him be very flawed and very complicated, be okay with that, right? And not to be like, oh, will people care less about his, you know, oppression if it's flawed? Like, no. And if that is the case, that's okay too. I think all different kinds of audience will see this film in a very different way. There's one thing in the film, and I don't think that's spoiling anything, but in which Malik, who is the black character, um, is saying that Philip, the white character, is not looking at him. And we never really, the film doesn't really tell you if it's the truth, if he's actually not looking at him. So I think that really is this opening to any kind of audience member to you know, draw their own conclusions. And I think, the kind of answer that people will have, whether they believe Malik or not, will, you know, say a lot about them and um, will have, you know, yeah, they can kind of finish the film themselves. They decide. And I think um, certain audience members will feel really seen by it, I hope. I'm really proud of this film. I'm really proud of the way it was made. I'm really proud of, yeah, what it is. And um, yeah, I feel like I'm not here to, you know, defend the film in any way. So I think it's like, that's the most exciting piece now. I think now to like, you know, let it out into the world and like to see what people, how people will relate to it because like big themes are talked about in the film. And I think, you know, people have strong opinions about it, but I think, again, I made it so that, you know, people that haven't been represented, that haven't been centered in their own films, um, feel themselves be seen and as fully human. And I feel like our premiere in London next week is going to be a huge part of that, of uh, sort of closing a closing a chapter of this being uh, something that's been sort of living in our world uh, for so long, and now it's it's going to live in the outside world. And um, yeah, I'm very much along with the line of Lamin of I. I'm very detached from people's uh, uh, perceptions of it. You know, if they love it, they love it. If they hate it, they hate it. I'm more encouraged by the conversations this film is going to start. 
And I think this, con- this film is gonna start a lot of conversations, particularly in Germany, because a film like this never hasn't really ever been made. Or if it has, hasn't been given the time, the effort, the care and the love to m- be treated as special as we've treated this. We want to showcase that in Germany, and uh, it's going to be playing at a at a uh, festival in Hamburg right after it premieres in London called Queer Bee Academy, which is going to be amazing because then it's in front of an all German, mostly German audience, and I can't wait to, to see this film in Germany with German audiences and how they perceive the film and what it does for the conversation here. Yeah, and also to I think. Like there are so many people that have like so many stories to tell and um, that have the skills and that have the talent. But um, I really would love, you know, for other institutions and funding institutions, you know, to kind of see this and be like, oh, like we should have, we should give more, you know, non-production companies money to make make something. And I hope everyone in in the team, um, you know, is seen for their work and, you know, is hired. Um, I want to take a step back and just talk about cinema and the place that it holds in our communities today. And I would like to hear from both of you about why the form of visual moving images strikes you and what you see it holds right now as meaning and what place it holds currently in our communities and what do you hope it will occupy in the future? And with that, what are you interested in exploring next? I feel like I feel like this kind of alludes to my journey as an artist, because I I live this entirely different life of uh, working in in international humanitarian response uh, and migration. And I, I spent ten years in this career, and it was one of the reasons I came to Germany was because of this career. And I came to Germany and I started to write poetry because I was going through a depressive episode at the time. And then I started sharing my poetry publicly on stage and that opened up this entire world of me of performance and telling my story and telling my truth and realizing that I was hiding behind so many layers of myself and peeling back those layers as an artist and I think, that is one of the roles of an artist is to help people peel back the layers in themselves and to serve as that mirror uh, has led me to this process of creating this story. And if you told Silish six years ago before they came to Berlin that you're gonna make a short film and it's gonna premiere at the British Film Institute, I would probably said, well, that actually makes sense because I'm a badass and I would totally do something like that. That's like totally <laughs> yes. where it would go. But I would, if you showed me the team of people I would be working with, I would be like, that is such a cool and amazing and warm and loving group of people that I would not expect they I would have the graciousness of ever collaborating with. And now here I am in this project with such incredible people with such beautiful hearts and visions and imaginations that I know this is where I want to be. These are the projects that I want to work on. These are the people I want to work with. And that is helping me uh, form my next visions. And particularly realizing that I've always had this imagination of ideas and like a book of ideas that I'm constantly just writing things down in. 
And what this film also taught me is that my ideas get to be this big, that it's not like, oh, I can't do this idea because I don't know how to use a camera or I don't know how to do lighting. It's like, no, your teams need a full-on lighting team. It needs, a, it needs a DOP, it needs a director, it needs actors, it needs a team to pull it together. Your ideas are that big. So it's also allowing me to dream bigger. Um, and it's going into sort of the two projects that I'm, I'm working on right now. And one is a screenplay for a TV series that looks at, uh, it's, it's, it's like Drag Race meets I May Destroy You meets uh, like uh, coming of age tale in your 30s. Uh, you know, and it's really a cat like, and, and, and I think Laman also helps me sort of move in this direction of character building of how do we build characters that are deeply flawed because deeply flawed characters are deeply human. And to build characters that uh, somehow solve their problems within 30 minutes or within a film, like uh, a 90 minute film, it's not realistic. It's like, I think people try to change, but oftentimes fail quite beautifully in doing so. And how do we tell stories and build around that? Uh, it's particularly BIPOC and queer stories. Yeah. Um, what is cinema? Yeah, I mean, I think it is traveling. It was always, you know, it's traveling the world, but also, you know, being in the subjectivity in the lives of people that are different from you, lives that you haven't lived. And that's why I always loved it. I mean, I think everyone who loves, you know, to go to the movies knows that feeling of like leaving a cinema and feeling like you've gone somewhere so far away and and to, um, yeah, that's that's what, that's what I love. And I think the more, yeah, more I write, I think about like, what is, how can this entire script, how can this entire thing feel like how the person how the character experiences the world. And um, yeah, and I hope, yeah, I hope that Hundefreund also feels a little bit like that for the future, looking to the future. Um, yeah, I think this project also, again, showed me find your people, like really find your people and like be open for them to find you, show up in your authentic self, like say the thing that you want to say. I feel like this is such a, an example of like everyone really standing in their truth and like, saying what they love, what they want to do, what they want to try out, what they think is funny, what they think is sad. And, and everyone being like, okay, cool. And now this is what I think. And like really everyone acknowledging each other's differences and like all of those things, you know, that we know are great, but like, it's so difficult sometimes, but in this way, I really feel like it worked, it worked out because there's like mutual respect. And I, you know, want to continue that and want to, you know, have more space to tell stories and, you know, collaborate more and yeah. Tell more stories. Well, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm I'm thrilled for this project, and I'm thrilled for everything that's going to come out of both of you uh, in the future. So, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to sharing it with the listeners and sharing it with everybody, and hopefully that they'll get a chance to see on the front. Thanks for having us. Thank you, really nice. Thank you. Thank you. Although for you are us. going to have a lot to admit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Such a complete honor sharing time and space and talks with you, Silish and Lamin. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. And you, dear listener, that you joined today's episode. Thank you for being here. In Conversation, Honda Freund is a special right here on In Her Lens. You can follow Silish on Instagram at Silish underscore N and Lamin at Lamin Leroy. Of course, you can also follow the podcast for updates at In Her Lens Podcast. I'll be back next Wednesday with the German short film's set designer, Joan. I'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>